We've talked for the last several weeks about church. Why church? And our connection with one another. We're going to take a one-week break, do a one-off today, to deal with something that is equally important and I think touches on all of our lives. We're going to talk about running well and finishing strong. Now here's something that's true about every single race that's ever been run. The runners are not judged on how they look or how they start. The runners are judged on how well they run and how they finish. So today we want to talk about running well and finishing strong. Gordon MacDonald, years ago, is a pastor and an author. He wrote a, a book called A Resilient Life, and he starts the book like this. This knocked me out. When my mother died some years ago, I telephoned a very distant cousin, my uncle's niece, to pass along the news. Our conversation lasted far longer than I anticipated because she began to tell me stories about my mother's family that I'd never heard. My mother was the last of eight children born into a Swedish immigrant family. Now, with her death, all eight were gone. It's a quote from the niece. Your mother's family was a bunch of quitters, my cousin said bluntly. When life toughened, the brothers drank and the sisters complained. And then they simply gave up and died one by one. McDonald goes on to tell us how he couldn't get away from that comment. And as he reflected on it, he realized not only was it true, but that he himself had inherited what he called the quitter's gene. I was really struck by that phrase, the quitter's gene. I recognized my own battle with the quitter's gene, and I think we all have a little bit of the quitter's gene in us. They say when things get tough, the tough get going. The problem is that not many of us are tough are not consistently so across all areas of our lives. For almost all of us, there come those times and spaces when it's just too much. Wave after wave of difficulty, and we end up, why me? And I thought you weren't going to give me more than I could handle, wave after wave. And almost all of us in those circumstances find ways to quit. I really like this cartoon. I saw this this week. This is entitled, How to Quit Your Job. Evidently, it's a two-step process. You stand up, and then you flip your desk. <laughs> Most of us don't do it like this. Most of us quit by leaving. Or sometimes we quit through distraction or through addiction. Sometimes we quit more subtly. Sometimes we just lower our expectations sufficiently so there's very little chance for us to be disappointed. Of course, the problem is that when we do that, we're very unlikely to fail. We're also very unlikely to experience real success. Now look, we have to say at the beginning of this that there are appropriate times to flip the desk and quit. There are times when a relationship gets toxic or when wisdom would tell us that this major or this career is not what we were designed for. And we should quit. We should change directions. But it's just so hard to know, especially during times of great difficulty, when wisdom is talking and when it's the quitter's gene. So how do we continue to press against the quitter's gene? How do we get going when things get tough? We're going to look at a paragraph from the New Testament letter of Hebrews today. And it gives us five themes that speak specifically to the quitter's gene. I pray that these themes would speak to us, especially to those of you who are in a tough spot today. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. 
verses 1 through 3, and let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, therefore, therefore. So he's just finished chapter 11. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but it's an epic chapter. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You may be seated. Evidently, the author of this passage had been to a large racing venue, maybe even to the ancient Olympic Games. And he draws on that experience to paint a really helpful image of what God sees as five key themes to our ability to run well and finish strong. So let's dial these up. Number one, people who run well and finish strong are inspired by others who have done it well. Listen, when I'm not doing well emotionally or physically or spiritually, I usually find a way to remind myself everybody struggles. But somehow that lets me off the hook. In fact, most people are struggling more than I am right now. That's what goes on in my head. But that dialogue doesn't help me run well or finish strong. That doesn't build perseverance or toughness. Right before the paragraph that we read from Hebrews 12, the author, as I said, has offered up a catalog of people who have run well and finished strong. Chapter 11 is filled with quick hit testimonies, and some of those are testimonies of people who had it really hard. And for whatever it was they ended up with, they had to wait a very, very long time, and yet they did it. Therefore, since we're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, so pay attention to those who have done it well. Let me give you personal for a minute. This past summer, my wife Diane and I spent a week at the beach with my two sisters and their husbands. So my brothers-in-law were sitting around one night having a conversation about mentoring. And, you know, one of my brother-in-laws said he had these great work mentors. And I know for some of you, companies are doing that a lot better now. And and some of you have had great work mentorships. And I said at one point in the conversation, you know, I've never really had much of a mentor in my life. My brother-in-law said, oh, come on. My other brother-in-law said, yeah, you don't like me either. And I think a lot of men about my age have not really had that much in their lives. My father died when I was very young. So I didn't have a father speaking into my life. And maybe because of that, or maybe just because I'm arrogant, even when I was a young man, there were men who wanted to be a father figure in my life, and I always resisted that. I never had much mentorship in my life. And because of it, in part, I think there are gaps in my ability to get going when things get tough. I think there are gaps in my ability to resist the quitter's gene. Look, especially those of you who are young, I want to encourage you, one of the takeaways here is find a mentor. Find someone to speak into your life, not just your career, but someone to speak into your life. People who run well and finish strong are inspired by others who have done it well. Second uh, key theme here, people who run well and finish strong know that it takes effort. Now, maybe this goes without saying, but I don't think so, because there are times when the quitter's gene works so powerfully, and we need to be reminded that it just takes effort. When I say it, I mean everything. 
our career, our marriage, dealing with our emotional health, our spirituality, our physical life. Life takes effort. It's absolutely critical for us to understand that we will not finish our race unless we run with perseverance. Gordon MacDonald put it very succinctly. Resilient people know that quitting is not an option. Look, we know our race will have difficulty. We know that. But we don't always know that. We don't always know it in our chests. There will be intense emotional challenges. There's going to be physical strain. We know that, but we don't always know it. There will be times of depleted resources. People near us will die. Projects will fail. Relationships will be strained. There will be grave disappointment. Missed opportunities and failures. We have two choices. Either we quit our race and find another trail, a more convenient, more comfortable trail, or we run our race, the one marked out for us, with perseverance. But let me tell you what's not an option. It's not an option to move through our race casually with an eye toward maximizing convenience and ease. That's not an option because it takes effort. Here's the crazy thing. God actually uses those difficulties to shape our character and build perseverance into our lives. Jesus' brother James put it like this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I like the way the author Rick Warren put it in his book, Purpose Driven Life. Some of you have read that book. Warren says this, God has a purpose behind every problem. God has a purpose behind every problem. He uses circumstances to develop our character. Jesus warned us that we would have problems in the world. No one is immune to pain or insulated from suffering, and no one gets to skate through life problem-free. No one gets to live that life. Life is a series of problems. Every time you solve one, another is waiting to take its place. Not all of them are big, but all are significant in God's growth process for you. People who run well and finish strong know that it takes effort. This past August, several of us from the staff here at Gateway went to a leadership conference where we heard Rasmus Ankerson. And Ankerson is a best-selling author, and he's an entrepreneur, and he's a sports nut who owns, by the way, a European soccer team. He gave a fascinating talk about habits that build peak performance. He studied this for years, both in companies and in individuals. His leading premise, listen to this, his leading premise was that if we want to build peak performance, we've got to know what gamblers know because they know how to pick peak performers. One of his principles, really the one that was the most compelling for me, was that we have to learn to value improvement over comfort. Let me say it again. We have to value improvement over comfort. To, to demonstrate his point, Ankerson traveled across the whole world, I, I don't know, 10, 15 different places, visiting the places that have produced the highest performing athletes in the world. One of the places he visited was Jamaica, and a particular sports complex, and I'm using air quotes if you're listening to this later, that has produced an incredible percentage of the fastest runners in the world over the last decade, all from this one 
sports outfit. So he visited there, and I want you to see this. I want you to see what he did. A lot of the best sprinters did not only come from Jamaica. A lot of them came from the exact same athletic club in the outskirts of Kingston, something called MVP Track and Field Club. So I went there, and I arrived to the training ground half past five in the morning. Let me put it this way. What do you expect to see when you arrive to the most successful and progressive athletic club in the world is not what you see when you arrive to MVP track and field club. I came out there, I was looking, right, it was a bit, a little bit dark, and I thought, where is the running track? Because all I saw was this big grass field. I said to my taxi driver, I think you took me to the wrong address. But 10 minutes later, this gets even more strange because now suddenly, out of nowhere, this guy arrives to the training ground. Who do you think this is? Who is this? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to Mr. Stephen Francis. This is, without a doubt, the world's most successful sprint coach. Here you go. <laughs> Head coach of MVP Track and Field Club in Jamaica. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and as you can see, Stephen Francis doesn't really look like a sprinter. I mean, he's never sprinted. He never sprinted. He graduated in statistics at the University of Michigan. He wanted to use that as a springboard to get into the corporate world. So he got a job at KPMG. He found that really boring when he came back. So he's passionate with athletics. So he founded MVP Track and Field Club. And he's got a lot of interesting ideas about how you build a good talent environment, high performance environment. And one of his ideas is about the facilities. So let's have a look at that. So I came out there and I expected to see a top modern training facility with spa treatments and reggae music coming out of the loudspeakers. And all I see is a diesel scorched grass track and a gym bag from a Jane Fonda days with rusty weights. <laughs> so I said to the big guy there, I said, listen, Francis, you're training the best athletes in the world. Why are you not building a proper facility for them? Here's what he said. Most of the time I see um, performance centers in, in Australia and Britain and Sweden and wherever else. And I'm there saying, well, these guys, obviously the emphasis for them to be comfortable. I, I, I believe that strongly that, you know, if a performance center must be designed with work in mind and not with comfort. comfort. Did you get that? A performance center, he says, should not be designed for comfort. It should be designed with a purpose. It should be designed for hard work. So he says, I have all you need to become the best sprinter in the world. It's already here. You don't need anything else. But at the same time, I want a little bit something that tests you and gives me the answer to what I believe is the most important question. Who cares the most? Who really wants it the most? Because if you want glamour and comfort, you will never go here. If you really want to improve, this is the best development environment in the world. The question is, when we become successful in organizations, you know, sometimes comfort becomes more important than improvement. We think that a high-performance environment looks like this. You know, this gym in San Diego, there's not a lot of improvement going on here. 
So can you have too much comfort and too little improvement? And how do you as leaders create that little bit of discomfort that has to be to keep moving forward? This is one of the biggest challenges in a successful organization. It is making people understand that we haven't reached the top of the mountain, that there's still so much more to accomplish. So God is building high performers. And to do so, he uses discomfort. For those of you who are experiencing discomfort today, congratulations. God is building character and perseverance into your life. He's building a great finish in you. Theme number three. People who run well and finish strong are mindful that God is deeply involved in their lives. The author of Hebrews assumes this truth. He puts it like this. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We're not making this up. Our race is marked out for us. That's why we say regularly at Gateway, you're not here by accident. You and I are involved with something much bigger than ourselves. God is at work around us and in us, and we have a part to play in that larger story. We have a race marked out for us. My oldest son, Jordan, ran cross-country in high school, and the local high schools have cross-country home fields, and it is literally a field for most of them. And, and they go out before the race. Someone who's not running in the race goes out before the race and marks out the track, and they lay out streamers or sticks or yellow cones or whatever to mark out a track. Sometimes they use natural boundaries, and this is exactly the way they did it in the ancient games, the games that this author would have observed. Someone who's not a runner went out before the race and marked out the track. People who run well and finish strong remember that the race has been marked out for them. So during particularly tough patches in the course, they don't quit. People who run well and finish strong focus on the course, not on their discomfort. What? Let's say that again. People who run well and finish strong focus on the course, not on their discomfort. Again, in The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren begins the whole book with this. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. And remembering this and living by this theme is absolutely critical to running well and finishing strong. There is a divine purpose to our lives. There is a race marked out for us. Now, if you're not religious, then this point sounds a little like a mumbo-jumbo to you, but you need to know that this perspective, that God is involved in our lives, it doesn't create weakness. It doesn't create soft religious people. This perspective actually builds perseverance and toughness in our lives. For those of us who have a connection to God, let's remember our job. Somebody grabbed me after the 9 o'clock service and told me how important this point was, and it was for me as well. Let's remember our jobs. Our job is not to run someone else's race. Our job is to run the race marked out for us. And our job is not to figure it all out and mark out our race. 
Our job is to run the race marked out for us because God is deeply involved in our lives, setting the course of our lives. People who run well and finish strong are mindful that God is deeply involved in their lives. Fourth, people who run well and finish strong know that finishing our race will require subtraction. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. The word translated hinders there, by the way, can also mean a bulk, a weight, or an encumbrance. One author I read this week said that in athletic circles of this time, this word referred to getting in shape. It meant shedding excess pounds to prepare the athlete to run the race. So what the author is saying is this, the Christian runner must rid herself of even innocent things, anything that might slow her down, anything that does not help hinders And let's not miss this. Pause for dramatic effect. It's by running that we learn what the encumbrances are. So long as we stand around, we don't feel the burdens or the encumbrances that slow us down. That's why I say regularly here at Gateway, we don't want you to be an observer. Come as long as you need to, but when you're ready, jump in. As soon as we begin to run, we feel the weight So, obviously, for some of us, the point is that we need to get moving spiritually. We need to get going. Jesus' thoughts on all of this are almost intimidating. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. If your right eye, your right eye, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Do what you must, whatever it is, whatever the cost, to be able to run unencumbered. Are you out of shape physically or spiritually? Get moving. Do you have a bad habit or an addiction weighing you down? You need to confess it. And you may need to do violence to some part of your life to eliminate it, but do it. This is not easy. It takes effort. But it's not complicated. In Jesus' life, we see his reluctance to take on anything that would stand in the way of his goal. He was constantly subtracting. The crowds wanted to make him king. He literally withdrew from the crowd. Satan offered to advance his reputation. He dismissed it and rebuked Satan. He didn't suffer fools. He didn't coddle the hard-hearted. He ran the race marked out for him with single-minded devotion and dogged determination, and he let everything else go. People who run well and finish strong know that running the race will require subtraction. So, let's summarize. People who run well and finish strong are inspired by others who have done it well. They know that it takes effort. People who run well and finish strong are mindful that God is deeply involved in their lives. And they know that finishing our race will require subtraction. Finally, people who run well and finish strong focus on Jesus. Years ago, I had the opportunity to work a month at a ranch, a really small, big farm, small, really small ranch in Oregon. A friend of a friend knew another guy who was going to manage his aunt and uncle's farm in Oregon for a month. They were going to Europe on vacation. So he dragged the two of us, and we went out to help on the farm. So they'd given him a list of things that they wanted him to do while they were away, and they wanted them to plow several fields. He puts me on a tractor one day and says, plow the field. And I 
say, are you crazy? He says, yes, but plow the field. So I get on the tractor, and I start plowing, and I think, this is going great. I'm having a great time. I'm soaking up some rays, and I am a stinking farmer. And the next thing I see, he's running across the field, waving his arms. And, I, you know, I put it idle, and he comes and jumps up on the tractor, and I'm expecting to be congratulated. And he says, what are you doing? I said, what are you talking about? He said, look behind you. And I look, and it's not pretty, I have to admit. And he says, these rows need to be straight. You've got to start all over. This is terrible. And I said, well, I'm doing my best. And he said, no, let me tell you what to do. Get to the beginning of the field and find a fence post on the other side of the field. Don't look at anything else. Drive straight for the post. Straight at it. Don't look to the left or the right. People who run well and finish strong know that the focal point is Jesus. As the author of Hebrews says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, if you're not particularly religious, I know you're a little impatient with this point, but you need to know that those of us who are learning to connect with God in the new way that Jesus Christ made possible are finding this is the key. This isn't some throwaway religious point. This is the heart of the matter. And the author of Hebrews knows it too. Listen, look at how he ends the entire section. By the way, he's written this section exactly for this. He's written this section to those of us who are struggling with the quitter's gene. That's what this is about. And look at the point he makes in verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Make Jesus your focal point, he says, so that you can run well and finish strong. The author then teases out a couple of aspects of what that means to make Jesus the focal point. First, he says, it means relying on his provision. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Wow! The Hebrews author is making an incredible point here. And again, he just kind of assumes it. What he's saying is bone shattering. What he's saying here is that faith didn't begin with us. It began with Jesus. Our faith began with Jesus. And it ultimately doesn't depend on us. He will protect our faith. So looking to Jesus means, in part, relying on his provision. He's going to do it. He's going to carry us through. Secondly, it means, focusing on Jesus means focusing on his example. In Jesus' example, we see three things about faith. Real quickly, we see what faith looks like. For the joy set before him, the author says. Faith looks like focusing on what's ultimate. Focusing on eternity. Look, we're going to spend a whole lot more time beyond this current time frame than we are in it. So it just makes sense to focus on where we're going to be spending the majority of our time, eternity. Faith focuses on what's ultimate. Second, we see that faith is able to finish well. It's tenacious. There is no difficulty that faith cannot withstand. The author of Hebrews would say, even the cross. This is the most horrific way to die imaginable. But Jesus could go through that because of how tough faith is. And third, we see what faith results in. Faith results in an eternity with God, an eternity for which we were perfectly designed. Let's rely on Jesus' provision. Let's be reminded by his example. Let's focus on Jesus. All right, you know, I was thinking about this focus on Jesus point this week, and something hit me. Well, let me put it like this. I started to think, do I see Jesus' death as an example of his impotence? Or do I see his death as an example of his persevering single-minded devotion to the Father's will and to me. And of course, I see it as the latter. He's not weakly 
being tossed about by circumstances. He's not being overcome on the cross. He's in the center of God's will. He's running the race with perseverance. And at the very point where it seems like he's losing everything, this is actually the eve of his greatest triumph and ours. Then I realized, I have to choose to see every day of my life like that. I have to choose to run with perseverance, the race marked out for me, and when it gets tough, I have to choose to focus on Jesus and to know that God will get me through. And I have to keep on running. This is a central choice that each of us must make every day. And this choice will guide us through our difficulties. Let's pray. Father, I'm acutely aware that I don't know where each of us are in making that choice. But you do. You're walking with us, in some cases cheering, in some cases waiting. I suspect in some cases praying or weeping. I pray today that you would strengthen us to choose you to choose to focus on Jesus, to find that focal point and concentrate. Lord, I suspect that there are ways that our lives have become comfortable enough that we have been domesticated and we have made comfort the point. We have valued comfort over anything, but certainly over improvement. We're sorry. Today, we want you to know that we choose you and we consider it joy when we're under trial because we know that you're building high performers for eternity. Lord, in whatever way that you have spoken today, I pray that you would seal that, protect it, draw it deeply within us and use it. This week, today, this afternoon, use it for your purposes. And help us, Lord, to run the race with perseverance marked out for us. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us. Hope you have a great afternoon. Go in peace.